What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always. And tonight is game one of Miami Heat versus the Boston Celtics. But before I get into that game that's going to be happening soon, I want to talk about what I saw last night, Lakers versus the Denver Nuggets. It was from what looked like a start of just a, a, a massive Lakers collapse and just an obvious brick wall in a game one that it can be because of the altitude that I explained on the last pod. And it's funny because if you didn't even hear my pod and you just turn the game on, uh, (laughs) that's basically all they were talking about in terms of how difficult it is to play the Denver Nuggets at home. That was a big emphasis and point of, I guess, discussion uh, on ESPN (laughs) that day, right? Um, Just like moments before the game, that's basically, you heard that a lot, right? The altitude, the altitude this, the altitude that. Yes, it's a factor. And of course, it helps Denver throughout the course of the season in terms of their home game win record. Um, That's not new, right? That's very, that's something that's widely understood throughout the the history of the NBA from when the Denver Nuggets have been around. So, um, you know, just kind of, this is going to be more of like just my reaction pod in this sense. It's not going to be huge numbers based. Um, it's not going to be play by play. It's mainly just going to be because I obviously have to cut this episode as quick as possible to get into the Heat Celtics uh, kind of series and just kind of previewing that one. Um, I want to get into this Laker Nuggets game. 132 to 126, the Denver Nuggets win the game. Game starts off and it is just, it's looking like a pretty solid effort from the Lakers. To start this game, it looks like it's going to be one of those games where Anthony Davis is just hyper aggressive, right? First quarter wasn't great for him. Uh, He was two for seven from the field, but obviously just much more active in this game. And this was a huge Anthony Davis game that was tragically wasted by the Lakers mounting that crazy comeback that I'm going to get into in a little bit. Um, But the Lakers started this game pretty strong, right? Just overall, they're swinging the ball. They're playing pretty solid defense. And, you know, the Nuggets just being the Nuggets, right? Just the offensive juggernaut that they were. And it was really just collective aggression. Just, you know, it's swing, swing, just like the Lakers were kind of playing it. But Jokic just a massive first quarter, right? He had eight points, 12 rebounds in the first quarter, which was what people started to really talk about as this game uh, got to the second quarter. But, you know, away from the the quarter to quarter stuff, you know, kind of more so what I saw as a whole from this game. So, I mean, the Lakers were really struggling with the Jokic dribble handoff actions, with Jokic initiating pick and rolls. You have a big, big game from, from Jamal Murray. You have tough shots being made. It's It was really a hyper elite shooting night from the Nuggets. And it was also a hyper elite shooting night from the Lakers in terms of uh, three-point shooting, you know. So I just want to say, you know, Jokic just... I was I told you guys from the beginning, from the preview of this series on the last episode, that Jokic and Anthony Davis is going to be the point of emphasis in this series. How long can Anthony Davis hold his own against, the, against Jokic, right? Because... That's going to basically decide the kind of looks that the Nuggets are going to be getting, right? Like if Anthony Davis is holding his own against Jokic in the post or outside on the three-point line or, you know, wherever it is that these two are matching up on the floor, if Anthony Davis holds his own long enough, 
right, throughout the shot clock on every possession, it's going to make it harder for the Nuggets to get good looks. Now, Jokic is a master of creating good looks of nothing, right? Like, you hear about great shot creators. This guy is a great pass creator, I guess you could say. Like, this guy just makes the most out of the thinnest of windows on the offensive end in terms of passing windows. So, you know, and he's also going to just get tough buckets for himself, right? He's a great shot creator for himself, whether it's in the post, in the mid-range. He's going to make his free throws. He's going to knock down threes if you leave him open. So Jokic just answers every, every defensive scheme, right? And it just, it starts to look like a Laker collapse, right? Uh, Pretty much uh, at halftime. And it, it continues that way through the third quarter, but then the Lakers make a interesting adjustment that I was waiting for for a while. And I mentioned it to a couple of people. I was saying, you know, Rui Hachimura is going to be huge for this series because he's really big. He can move quickly and he's lanky, right? And he can also score, right? So when he's on, he's going to be a problem for the Denver Nuggets. Just size-wise, he's just incredibly versatile on any switch you can put him on. And lo and behold, the Lakers put him on Jokic to start possessions on defense. Now, this allows Anthony Davis to roam, right? And, and we heard that over and over again when the game was over on ESPN by the analysts. Now, I'm going to get into a more specific detail that people don't really, I guess they don't really have time because those those ESPN post games and half times, they're limited on time. So it's not like a big podcast where they can kind of just write some things down and really break it down. So earlier in the season... The Sixers were playing the Nuggets. This was, I think, the dominating Embiid game, right? The the game where Embiid kind of dominated Jokic in the regular season. That was like the first of two matchups where Embiid didn't play the second matchup. So whatever. The first matchup, it's really Jokic having his way. And then Doc Rivers decides to swap and put P.J. Tucker on Jokic and then allow Embiid to play free safety, right? Just like the roaming rim protecting big that just kind of fills the gaps helps teams recover on defensive rotations and basically just erasing mistakes on defense right taking assignments whatever it is he has to do to get stops so this was basically the same thing and it looks successful in bursts but i'm gonna tell you guys this like everyone's getting all excited about this adjustment with Rui Hachimura on Jokic to start possessions please realize that the playoffs are a long series, right? Like every series is very long, especially depending on how deep you are. The teams are much better. The ones playing against each other. It's all about adjustments, right? So yes, Rui Hachimura, great job on on, on those possessions where he's guarding Jokic. He definitely held his own. Um, It kind of throws a curveball at what the Nuggets want to do offensively. Uh, But Jokic figures everything out, right? And I'm not going to leave it at that. So another problem that I see with with just thinking that Rui Hachimura on Jokic to allow AD to roam around. If if you guys think that that's the solution to winning this series, because that's what I'm seeing in the comments section. Oh, Rui Hachimura this. uh, They figured out how to beat the Nuggets. No, you know, um, it's more complicated than that. So let's say Rui Hachimura starting possessions on Jokic. Well, they've already figured this out at the end of this game, right? When they go over the game tape. So what's going to happen now? Uh, the Lakers are going to continue to try that, right? And and basically, Jokic is aware that Rui Hachimura cannot guard Jokic alone, okay? Most of those possessions that you saw Rui on, you would see AD just carefully cheat 
towards Jokic. And yes, they blocked off some passes. They caused some Jokic turnovers. And it was a little difficult for Jokic to get some passes through. Some of those were really um, heat check passing moments from Jokic, right? Like you'll see Jokic really try to thread the needle sometimes. And the Lakers are very lanky, right? This is not some, some small team that you can thread the needle through. Uh, with passing, right? Like the Lakers do a great job of denying some passing windows, right? Especially around the rim. So what I would say is if, or especially around the paint. So what I would say is you're going to, Jokic just has to be more aggressive early, right? So that there's more clock to work with, right? Like Jokic would so often, he would find himself with Rui and he would hold the ball for a couple, kind of trying to read the defensive scheme. And then he would kind of start his dribble dribble uh just backing down Rui right from wherever he was and then that gave Anthony Davis ample time to kind of cheat over with a couple of steps Jokic would kind of wait a little bit see if Anthony Davis would back up and then AD obviously backs up but AD is very quick-footed right this is what makes Anthony Davis so special at his position defensively especially um is just his ability to cover a ton of ground right obviously his length his athleticism all of that comes afterwards so that's going to be a problem for sure. But if Jokic can just get more aggressive earlier in the shot clock, that's going to cause the Lakers to make some decisions, right? You're going to put the Lakers in a very difficult position to where they're going to have to leave open threes, right? So if your idea is to put Rui on Jokic early in those possessions, Jokic is just going to get super aggressive. He's going to force AD's hand to cheat over and he will make the right pass eventually uh once you watch a lot of film over even just one game you're catching where the rotations are coming from you're catching where the help is going the way the lakers are going to peel switch and Jokic is the master of just on the fly figuring things out you give him game tape he's going to figure things out even harder right so lakers better be ready and 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 come up with a secondary plan um, in terms of what are we going to do when this happens, right? Like when Jokic decides to just get hyper aggressive earlier in the clock versus just looking around, reading the floor, right? Now he knows that that's probably going to be the game plan to start uh, game two. And like I said, he is just going to get more aggressive. It's going to cause AD to cheat over harder. And there are going to be weak sides in that defensive scheme. So my advice as a non-professional coach or non-basketball player in the NBA would be play your cards with Anthony Davis, right? If you want to throw Rui at Jokic, that's fine for bursts in the game, but it's going to expose the Lakers to wide open threes. You know, it's going to happen. And if the Lakers philosophy is, hey man, we're just going to let those guys beat us with threes. That's exactly what happened in this game. You know, Jokic just completely destroyed the Lakers for three quarters. And then obviously the Lakers made that adjustment. It it, it definitely bothered Jokic. Um, and then Jokic basically just spammed dribble handoff actions and Jamal Murray basically took them home, right? Jamal Murray took some crazy shots. He made some crazy threes. Jokic makes an insanely crazy three. It's like a sidestep from really far away. Uh, over Anthony Davis. It was a tough shot. It was that kind of night for the Nuggets. And people are going to say, hey man, if you're the Lakers, we hang our hats on this loss. This is the best loss we could have had. And the Nuggets aren't going to shoot like that again. Well, this is the part that I say that's being super ignored all over the place. And the people I talk to 
The Lakers shot 62% from three in the fourth quarter. They were like 40 plus percent for the game as a team from three, right? I'm not looking at the numbers right now, but I'm pretty sure as a team, it was like in the mid 40s in terms of three point percentage throughout the entire game. The Lakers are not an elite three point shooting team, okay? They're a very streaky one, which can always be scary for teams because you never know what shot's gonna go in. You never know who's gonna be hot. But for the most part, that is not the Lakers offense that we all know, right? They're, they're not great shooters from three. And if the Lakers are gonna think that this was a good loss, I heavily disagree. I think this was hyper elite three-point shooting to end the game that brought the Lakers back. Also, when a team has a 20-point lead for a ton of, for just a big chunk of the game, it's only natural that the team starts putting their, just uh, taking their foot off the gas, right? We know that happens all the time. When a team is just up by a lot, it's either going to end in a blowout or they're going to take their foot off the gas like like usually happens. And the other team's just going to come back, right? And we saw that time and time again. Defensively, the Nuggets took their foot off the gas and that was something Michael Malone had to call several timeouts to discuss even in the post game in the locker room where they show kind of the coaches talking to their players after the games. That was a big focus. Michael Malone said, hey, you know, we took our foot off the gas. We have to play defense four straight quarters, you know, and he was right about that. They almost blew this game because they took their foot off the gas. Um, Austin Reeves over and over again, just lights out from three. And what annoyed me, and, and mind you, I'm, I've been a Laker fan my whole life, but I also want to see good basketball being played. So it does annoy me to see how often Austin Reeves was wide open for three. And not only was he wide open for three, he was wide open in the same spot over and over again. Just those wing threes, he took like three or four from the same spot over and over again. And he was wide open and it was the same rotation and the Nuggets just sleeping on it. I don't know if the Nuggets were just daring him to do it or if they were just slacking. Because they thought that there's no way the Lakers were going to catch back up. Especially knowing the Lakers aren't a great three-point shooting team. So the way I see it is, hey man, the Lakers blew their chance to take game one. Which is a tone-setting game for a long series that's to come. Uh, game two, there's no promises. The Lakers aren't really, the Lakers aren't a good team in, in, uh, in the next game after a, a long offensive fight like this one, right? It was in the 120s. So that just takes a lot of gas out of LeBron, um, you know, and, and, and the way that this Laker team has been so volatile, right? You get a you get an inefficient LeBron game, you get an efficient LeBron game, you get a, a game where AD shows up, you get a game where AD doesn't show up. That's not going to fly against these Nuggets. That's what concerns me about the Lakers' chances in this series. There's no room for inconsistency, when you're playing a team as complete as the Nuggets, right? This is a team, they're going to approach you the same exact way every time. They're going to spam dribble handoffs with Jokic. Jokic is going to be the screen setter, or he's going to be starting the actions in pick and roll. Uh, he's going to get in the post. He's going to find cutters. Um, obviously, when, when the roll guys get the ball, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be shot ready. KCP, as shot ready as it gets, just ultimate revenge series for KCP. He starts off amazingly. He shoots the lights out and he got to the basket too. And he played 
awesome defense. This was a huge KCP game, and it was needed because they almost blew it at the end. Also, Jamal Murray. I suspect that we got a great Jamal Murray game, and in typical fashion, maybe we see an ugly Jamal Murray game in game two. He just hasn't been that consistent uh, in terms of his offense, right? Like, he just... He gives you these great games, and then he gives you some bad games. Um, Along the side of that, Michael Porter Jr., who also had a really good game uh, shooting-wise, he's also probably due for a streaky performance in Game 2, right? And we're talking about streaky performances. D'Angelo Russell was awful in this Game 1, so maybe he reverses back to being uh, his good version, right? Like, these guys are all very flip-floppy, right? They, They just are. Right, the Michael Porter Juniors, the D'Angelo Russells, even Rui Hachimura, um, but you know, also you know Anthony Davis. This is such a flip-floppy uh, lineup of guys, right? That we just sometimes we don't know what performance we're gonna get. Now I will say this: Anthony Davis. This will probably be his most consistent series because of the fact that the personnel the Nuggets have very hard to deal with Anthony Davis, right? I mean, this is a guy that if he's knocking down shots, it's going to put a ton of pressure on Jokic and he can put Jokic in foul trouble, which he really did. Um, LeBron put Jamal Murray in foul trouble. We saw a lot of post-up possessions from LeBron and it was, it was looking like the kind of battle that the Phoenix Suns were uh, lost to the Suns where it was like twos versus threes. You would see these slow LeBron post-ups and LeBron getting his way right? Like he could score at will against these perimeter guys. Um, But, you know, is it sustainable though? You know, to trade these long possessions in the clock and you get a two and the Nuggets are on the other side already shooting a three, right? Like that's, that's where this game can get out of hand. And that's where it got out of hand for the Lakers. The Lakers need to play fast. They have two options in this type of series. You're either going to have to play hyper fast, right? And put the pressure on Jokic, get him in foul trouble, or you're going to have to lock them down defensively. And that's the only way you'll be able to play slow. If you're not playing lockdown defense on these Nuggets, you can't play slow. Because we're basically banking on the fact that, hey, we're going to play the twos versus threes battle. And you guys are not going to hit your threes. If the Lakers are banking on that, they're going to lose this series sooner than expected. Right? So they have to figure that out. You know, I don't see that sustainable, uh, you know, the the whole let's make Anthony Davis roam and then we'll put Rui on on Jokic. I don't think that's sustainable. I think Jokic is too smart of a player and the Nuggets are very well coached. They make a ton of adjustments. I don't see that being a sustainable strategy. I think your best bet is leave Anthony Davis on Jokic as often as you can and just hope the best. I mean, Anthony Davis had great defensive possessions on Jokic, right? He blocked him a couple of times. I believe it was more than once. He made it very tough for him to score. Anthony Davis just, you know, very athletic. Like I said, he he can he totally has the tools to bother Jokic. Um, you know, Jokic definitely showed some signs of struggle even though he had a massive game. Um, and it was an incredible game, MVP worthy game. But, you know, I I don't think that we're going to see much of a difference in this Game two, I think that game one was the best opportunity for the Lakers to win. Darvin Ham is super confident. He says he's not worried at all. I heavily disagree with that. I think that this was the ultimate uh, fumbling 
of a game one for the Lakers. This was this this game was theirs for the taking, really. LeBron blew it by shooting with three. Some people say, hey, he should have shot that three. It was fine. Some people say, hey, man, he needs to get to the basket. Jamal Murray's in foul trouble. Jokic is in some foul trouble. Um, LeBron was unstoppable getting to the basket all game long, and he could not knock down threes at all. He's not a good three-point shooter, and in this game, he was awful from three. So him taking that three was a sigh of relief from a defense that hasn't been able to deal with LeBron in that entire game one. So my opinion, Lakers blew their only chance to win one of these two games. I think that the Denver Nuggets tighten up, right, from those mistakes and letting their foot off the gas. I think they come in more focused throughout fourth, four quarters. I think the Lakers come back to earth in terms of shooting percentages. And I think it's going to be another Nuggets win. You know, that's my prediction. Nuggets take game two as well. It goes back to LA 2-0. And we'll see what happens at that point. I want to move on to a quick preview of Heat Celtics. It's not going to be too long at this point because the the episode is dragging a little bit. Um, So Heat Celtics, it's a rivalry from last year. It's a rivalry from the last several years. And I have, obviously I live in South Florida. I live in Miami. So all the people around me are in my ear. They're in my DMs. They're in my texts. They're everywhere they can be. Okay, damn near in the mailbox. And these people are all over me saying I have been underestimating the heat all season, all postseason long and that I'm about to learn my lesson is what they're saying with this heat, with this heat team, right? That they're going to come out on top. This is heat in five. This is heat in six. This is heat in seven. It's all I'm hearing is it's heat this, it's heat that. Let me explain something and why I think that they are heavily mistaken. And maybe I'm wrong, right? Like this is a, this, I mean... If the Celtics lose this series, it's a meltdown. It's a huge disappointment. It is a failure if the Celtics lose this series. The Celtics have the better talent. They have the wing versatility. They have the ability to play in a million different ways. I have said that a ton of times on this pod. They can go double big. They can play five man out. They can play up and down. They can play half court offense. There are a million ways these Celtics can play, which means there's a million ways the Celtics can solve problems, right? It's a million ways the Celtics can cause problems, right? The the Miami Heat are very limited roster wise. And and you're going to get to me and, and, and every argument when I tell people that is... Well, that's what you said about the Bucs, right? The Bucs had the better team, uh, you know, and that's what you said about the Knicks. It would be a slugfest and maybe either way, I still thought that he would win that series against the Knicks. They had the shooting, which means they'll have better spacing and they just obviously have that, just that, that connectivity, the connectivity that, that the Knicks didn't have. And the Knicks weren't a test for these Heat. I mean, come on, like, let's be honest. The Knicks are an awful shooting team. Julius Randle, not not a great player. Just when it comes to playoff time, he has been exposed over and over again. R.J. Barrett can't shoot. They were just a one-man show with Jalen Brunson. That is not who these Celtics are. The, The Milwaukee Bucks, they lost Giannis for three games. They get Giannis back in the rotation, and he's playing on a bad back, right? We know that he hurt his back. And Giannis gave you his all, but the Bucks just didn't show up. The coaching issues were a problem. You want to make me sound like I'm making or, or I'm making excuses for these two teams? In all in all reality, I mean, let's keep it a hundred on this episode. Like the Bucks did not get a full Giannis series from start to finish. That's a huge. 
difference in that series. Like, do I think the, the Bucks were just going to sweep the Heat? No. Okay, I thought it was going to be like Bucks in five or something like that, or maybe Bucks in six, you know, but that quickly just, just blew away, right? Like, they lose Giannis in the first game. He tries to come back. He doesn't come back in. And it kind of messes with the chemistry. So the Heat take game one. Game two, for sure, there's no Giannis. So that Bucks team was more locked in, knowing they were going to go in there with no Giannis. They take care of business in game two. But then, you know, game three comes around. The Heat get their first home game against a team without their best player. And yeah, they take that one. Giannis comes back for game four. Comes back for game five. And... Obviously, that's the series, right? Giannis gave a great effort. Um, I think that the Heat at that point were just snowballing. They were very confident. I think the Bucs were really concerned. The lack of adjustments from Mike Budenholzer, hence him being fired. I think that all of that worked to the Heat's favor, right? Like, this has been a very favorable path to the conference finals for the Miami Heat. I don't care what anyone says. You avoid the Celtics in the first round. You get a, a three-game without Giannis first round. You play the awful, mediocre New York Knicks in the second round, who I don't care what you guys say. The Knicks are the worst team in that second round by far. I mean, it's, it's not even close that the Knicks were the worst team in that second round. Um, and then this is the first challenge, and I'm not going to disrespect the Heat. This is the first challenge for, for the Heat in terms of this is their best opponent right? Like there's no doubt about it. Now, matchup wise, I would say this is probably the Celtics best opponent as well. Okay. So that's, that's where I give credit to the Miami heat. It's it, the Miami heat are a team that's not going to back down. They're mentally strong. Their coach is probably the second best coach in the entire league. Top three in any argument. Um, and then, you know, top five all time. And you know, the heat have heart. They have heart. They have Jimmy Butler. They have the shooting that can, if it shows up, they, they can compete against anybody. Um, but they're very limited, you know? And, and if you talk to a rational Heat fan, not one of these people that are all in my DMs telling me it's Heat in five, it's Heat in four. A rational Heat fan knows that this is going to be a, I mean, the most difficult series they've had to play. And, and you'd be stupid to think otherwise. You know, the Celtics have everything they need to win this series and win it soundly, in my opinion, right? Convincingly, right? Like it's just, I just, I'm looking at Rob Williams. I'm looking at Al Horford. These are two towers compared to what the Miami Heat can run out there. What's going to happen? They're going to need to have Kevin Love or Bam Adebayo. They're going to have to have them both out there in a series with both Rob and Horford out there on the court. Because if you're going to have a guard guarding Al Horford out there, Al Horford's going to get some free swing swing catch and shoot threes where a guard is closing out on him which is basically free green light to take that three um you know you want to put you want to let's say they take kevin love out because he just can't defend anybody and he's getting cooked out there by the way if kevin love is out there for long periods of time in this series if he's not making his shots it's a wrap for kevin love rotation wise because these these Celtics can really get to the rim. So on those dribble handoff actions, on the Spain pick and rolls, where there's a lot of misdirection and there's a lot of confusion amongst the rotations, that can cause a lot of problems for the Heat defending the rim because Bam has to cover for so many people's mistakes on the Miami Heat that that's going to leave wide open looks at the rim. The Celtics cannot fall in love with three-point shooting in this series. They need to use their ball movement 
and their entire personnel to put this Heat team to bed. The Heat, if they can guard the three-point line and the Celtics are falling in love with that three, the Heat are going to be in this series all series long. Okay, I don't want to see Joe Masula falling in love with three-point shooting. I don't want to see the Celtics making the same mistakes that they made up until game six of that Sixers-Celtics series, right? Like, if that's going to be the Celtics team shot-chucking and those shots aren't falling, the Heat are going to take this series away from them. So that's what I have to say about that. I fully expect the Celtics to win this game. I think that the Celtics are going to make a huge statement out of this game, right? They're going to just send a message that, hey, you Heat guys, you you seem very confident coming up against us. Jimmy wants his get back. He wants his revenge. This isn't sweet. Okay, we have the sixth man of the year on that Celtics team. We have uh, guys that feel like the job isn't done from last season. They want to get back to the finals. And we'll see what happens. You know, I have the Celtics winning both home games. And I just think this series is going to be over in six. I think the Celtics win it in six. I think the Heat, they're, they're awesome you know, run that was clearly an overachieving run uh, by the by the terms of, you know, betting and all that good stuff. I think it's over here, you know, like I just don't, I don't see how they get out of this series alive, right? And they might give the Celtics a run for their money, right? If this one goes seven, power to the Heat. I still don't think the Heat would close the series out in Boston. I mean, this is just, this isn't the caliber of team that they've faced in the playoffs so far. You know, you want to talk about mismatch, you want to talk about the Heat, have the Celtics number. I want to see what this looks like. You know, I definitely want to see what this looks like. That's going to do it for this episode. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.